0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. And so we're doing this little kind of a mini-series called Jesus is King. And yes, absolutely, I'm ripping it from Kanye because he did a wonderful job and he helped us out. And it should. You need to go. He's working on album number two right now, and I can't tell you how excited I am about it. Yes, it will be in our pre experience playlist. You'll be hearing it when it comes out. That's just, that's just what I do, because um, it's good stuff. And uh, so we, we want to talk about Jesus' as King today specifically. Um, the title that I have for today is uh, The King of Victory. The king of victory. And it even, amazingly enough, you think sometimes you think we plan these things, but it ties into even the new song that we sang today, which I would love to say, yeah, we totally planned that, but, but not really. Uh, so that just tells you that God has a plan. But I want to read uh, a couple of verses to you from Matthew chapter 2. And, uh, and I'm, I've got my Bible here, but I've got it right here. So just pretend I'm turning to my Bible, but it is. It's right here. And uh, Matthew chapter 2, you can go there uh, or you can pull it up on the UVersion Bible app that hopefully you're getting tired of me talking about it, but then you just need to download it and I'll keep talking about it. Or it'll be up on the screen behind us. But let me read this to you from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and this is a, it's a famous passage for this time of year, but I want us to dig a little deeper, if that's okay, and hopefully we can pull out of this something that will give us a fresh revelation, a fresh vision for what this season has the potential of being about. In verse 1 it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Wise men, uh, the word there comes from magi. They were basically magic men from the east. Not magic might. completely different thing, but magic <laughs> men from the east. I'm, I don't know why. Anyway, you're like, why did you say that? Verse 2. Where, they, so they showed up and they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it, I love this, we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So don't tell me that all creation isn't doing the same thing that we're trying to do, which is to worship and to honor our creator. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, because he's like, we have got another king. He he was Jewish, so he knew the prophecies, figured this thing out. So King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I think some people's disturb was different than others. He called a meeting of the leading priest and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared, And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, do me a favor, come on back and tell me where I can go to worship him too. And later we find out he actually didn't want to do that. He wanted to find where he was so that he could kill him. It escalated rather quickly. Okay. So in verse 9, it says, After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place, where the child was. Now here, here's an important line right here. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house. This wasn't the manger at this point when the wise men show up, just a little backstory. They say it was anywhere from one to two years later. So we got the nativity, we got the wise man, we got the sheep and the goats and everything. That's not, that's not 100% accurate. Anyway, I don't wanna mess up your nativity, but I'm just saying, okay. So they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and here was their response. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened up their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I love that. Can I pray for you real quick? I just I feel like God wants to say something to us today, and I don't want to miss it. Father, we just pray in the time that we have that you would open up our hearts God, help us to see you for who you are. Jesus, we want to not just not just see you as our best friend, but God, help us to know that we also need to honor you as king, king of our life, king of this world, king of your creation. And so, Father, open our hearts and our minds to receive what you're trying to say. God, break down any walls that maybe have been put up or that we've put up so that we can get everything out of this that you're trying to put into us. In the mighty name of Jesus, somebody say amen. Now, I know. I mean, come on, we're, for the most part, I think we're, we're Americans, we're, we're Western civilization. Uh, I don't think that I'm aware of anyone in here is used to living in a society that is led by a king, right? Um, and so when we say king, maybe we have some different ideas of what that means. You know, sometimes in America, we treat Jesus like he's an elected official, and if we like him when he makes us happy, and when he doesn't make us happy, we wanna vote him out. And, uh, but we have to have, a, oh, I'm sorry, was that a little, was that a little on the nose a little bit? okay. Um, but I, I think sometimes we need to think about what comes to mind when we think of kings. So I got some options here. We have the medieval king. Sometimes we think of the medieval. Okay, I think that's the Bud Light guy. That's the Bud Light guy. But nonetheless, I think he's dressed like dilly dilly, like the. So maybe maybe you think of this one when it comes up. Maybe you think of this next one. I don't know. Uh, Ever the Lion King. Okay, maybe not. Uh, I I know most of you would probably fall in line with this next one if if I'm correct. I think the King James, right? Come on, Herman, I see you. (laughs) Okay, it's getting violent, let's move on from that one. Uh, Maybe some of y'all a little bit hungry, the Burger King. That mask looks really uncomfortable. I think we can do a little bit better than that. Maybe when you think of King, you think of Dr. King, much better. Much better, much better. But even, even within that, we have these different ideas of what a king looks like. But, I, but in our natural human state, none of us think of this next one. None of us think of king when we see this decrepit manger that was not meant to hold a human being, let alone the king of the universe. And so God, is, what he's trying to do and what he has always tried to do from the beginning it's to get us to see things in a different way. The entire, I'll use the word space, that exists between mankind and God exists not because God wants distance and space. It exists because we have decided that there is a better way to do things that is our way. And we have created systems and cultures and divides and and special groups and ways of doing things that make sense to us, yet all the while it's created more and more distance. Now, this is what God's desire has been throughout the beginning of time, is to bridge the gap of the distance that is between his children, the men and women that he created to have relationship with, the distance that we continue to, uh, perpetuate through our sin and through lack of faith, yet God is still pursuing and coming after us because he's not okay with the distance. He wants relationship. Yes, and so when we think of what a king is, most of that we don't think of. I just thought that was, that was funny. It just was. For some of you. Some of you are like, what are we doing? <clears throat> But we, we just don't have a tangible connection in, in our Western society to what that really means. Because here's when we see God as king, when we see Jesus as our king, he no longer becomes something or someone that becomes optional to our existence. It, it's different. Like when, when a king reigns, well, let me, let me uh, I need some more scripture. I need some more scripture. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I will say this, though. Jesus Deserves and he is worthy of all of the pomp, the pageantry, the, the honor, us going out of our way to worship. In our culture, most people look at Jesus and they want to do the opposite. They want Jesus to do what the wise men did, which is to find us, seek us out, answer our questions, prove himself to us, and then to give us gifts. But what God is looking for us to do is to see him as king. And here's the crazy thing. There's no other king that's ever existed before or that ever will exist ever again that operates as a king the way that Jesus does. Everything in the kingdom of God, and guess what? If there's a kingdom, there has to be a king, okay? Everything that operates in the kingdom of God is completely the opposite of how things operate in the real world. We'll say real world, we'll do air quotation marks for the real world. When you look at a king, and you, maybe you study history, and I love to study history, and, and it's not all pretty, but it's good to know where things came from. You know, we've heard that quote, if you, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it, that type of thing. And there's so much truth to that. Um, but when a king shows up on the scene, a king comes to conquer uh, a people group, uh, a race, uh, a group of people that were not currently subject to him or under his leadership or control. And, and a king has subjects. And so in the kingdom of God, things work a little differently. A king keeps distance from from the regular people. And so I think the biggest thing right off the bat that Jesus was trying to communicate, when God's plan was for him to not come from the clouds on on giant white horses and coming down with his crown and his robe and his royal scepter and whatever else that the kings may have, and just say, hey, I'm King Jesus. He didn't have to come as a baby. He could have come as a grown man but he decided to come as a baby, and he decided to come in a way that would allow humanity to be able to identify with where he came from. So much of high society, whether it's kings or whatever it may be, is, is so built on the reality that, um, wow, well, we just can't relate to that. Like, I don't know what you went through, but I can guarantee you by looking at the car that you drive and the pedigree of the last name that you have and the university that you graduated from and the job that you have, that we probably can't relate with our, our life stories. Jesus didn't come for the best of the best. He came for the most broken. He came for the down and out. He came to let us know that, hey, there is nothing that you will ever go through that I cannot identify with. I am your Savior because I can save you from the things that even I experienced. I can rule as your king because I can identify with you and your life as what you have gone through. And not just a race, but a humanity. You know, early on when it says he came to be the king of Israel, and we want to make that really, you know, the, a culture really wanted to make that very specific. Well, it's, that's just that people group, but no, actually, if you read through the Old Testament, you see what God was trying to do, and you see what God did through the early church after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and and commissioned the early church, and then you begin to see what, what some of God's people were doing to reach even beyond the borders of what the Jewish community thought. Israel isn't just a nation people group. Israel is referencing those that would become sons and daughters of God, those who would respond to him in faith. So so by that means we are all, God desires all of us to be in relationship with him. And we become the members, if you will, of the kingdom of God, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Paul talks in the book of Romans about how Abraham, you're not just a descendant of Abraham by blood, you're a descendant of Abraham by faith because Abraham was the first one to put his faith in God and be recognized as the father of our faith. And so we got to look at things a little bit differently when it comes to Jesus being our king. Let me read this to you, Philippians chapter two, and, and I was telling you a second ago how, man, Jesus just does everything backwards. He just does everything differently. And the reality is it's not backwards. It's the way it's supposed to be done, but it's so different from how you and I think. In chapter 2 uh, of Philippians, verses 6 through 11, it says, talking about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. This is what sometimes there's a, the divide between classes because we can't relate. We can't get it going. Like this is America. We don't have classes. Yeah, right. Yeah, we do. And it says, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, this is where somebody can say amen, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, here's the thing. In our world, lords are lords, saviors are saviors, kings are kings. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus is all of the things. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. And there's many scriptures that go on to say not only is he the king, the Lord, the Savior, he's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. There is no other one that can save us the way that Jesus has. Most kings come to be served, but Jesus came to serve others. He kind of flipped the script on that whole thing. Most kings come to take what belongs to others and make it their own, but Jesus came to take everything that he was and give it away. He came to seek and save that which was lost, not to divide and conquer and make it his own. Jesus, uh, as king, most kings come to enslave people of the world. Jesus came to set them free. John 8, 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Galatians 5, 1, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery. So we're talking about the king of victory today. I want to make a declaration to challenge the way that we think, and I want to say this one line. God does not lose. He never has. I know, like, back in the day, all right, so this is just me growing up in the church world. Back in the day, I don't know if some of y'all have ever experienced this. When we got to Easter, we always tried to put together these really cool skits, right? These plays and, and and uh any Carmen? <laughs> this is old school, come on. I mean, some of y'all be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Any Carmen fans out there from back in the, you know, 80s and 90s? And, and, uh, and so he had this one thing where he, where he uh, you know, talking about Easter, and I know it's Christmas, I get it, but it's still Jesus, so work with me. And uh, so he, uh, where he, you know, kind of had this whole storyline of a song that he wrote was, you know, Jesus going to the cross, and it was a boxing match, right? And you got Jesus, and he's in a boxing match, and then on the other corner you got the devil, and he's, and it kind of, you know, like, like the devil is winning. And that, you know, it's like, oh, he's oh, Jesus, a blow to, you know, blow to the chest, you know, right cross, upper hook, you know, it was really dramatic. This is back when church was really cool. And, um, and, you know, eventually, boom, you know, Jesus, oh, he goes down, Jesus goes down, and the devil's, you know, jumping around. And uh, apparently this made a great impression on me, because I can remember like it was yesterday. But we've kind of had this false reality that we talk about, we preach this imagery of Jesus that he got knocked out, and then somehow, oh, hey, look at me, I'm coming back. no. God doesn't lose. Jesus never lost. And so we need to embrace that reality that if we are, let me just use this term for the sake of the, 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 the verbiage that we're using, if we are the subjects of the kingdom of God and we live with the rights that come with those who are part of a kingdom, if we are sons and daughters, because here's a cool thing, Jesus tells us later, we're not just subjects, we're actually co-heirs with him. Which means that the rights and the blessings and the privilege and the identity and the authority and the power that Christ has because he is the king, guess what? You got it too. You got it too. And so we got to understand that if that is the reality of the world in which we live, and God doesn't lose, and his kingdom doesn't lose, and, and, our, and us as being the co-heirs of Christ, don't lose. We're like, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Let's not get crazy. Because I'm I'm pretty sure I've lost. I'm pretty sure I've taken some significant L's in my life. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, okay, Jesus doesn't lose. I, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, because he's God and everything. It's easy for him. He just snaps his fingers and everything's perfect. But that's just not, that's not the reality. Here's the deal. Um, I played sports growing up in you always knew who won because you were able to check the score at the end of the game. Sometimes you and I, we have different measurements than God does about what's a win and what's a loss. So we're thinking that we've taken a loss when what God's trying to say is, no, this is this is a setup for a victory that's coming. And I, I know. Like, I can, I can, as I say that, I can hear it in the back of my head. That's a great that's a great preacher cliche, Pastor Craig. Thank you for that. Because we, you know, nothing, nothing goes wrong in the kingdom of God. Everything is great. You know, every, every, every struggle that I've ever had, every, every, you know, we just, I just almost couldn't get my stuff together because I'm you know, talking about Anne up there with Jesus. And, and, you know, it seems like it was a defeat because cancer thought it won. But the reality is, is that you can't lose. Even if what we have in this life is taken away, you still lose, Devil. The enemy still loses because now there is no more pain, there is no more cancer, there is no more suffering, there is no more tears. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I would personally prefer for that miracle to happen here. But there are things that God knows that I don't know. There are things that that, that King Jesus understands that he can see from his perspective on his throne that we cannot see. And I know it can be hard and complicated for us to figure out the details of life. And when we feel like we've taken a loss to be able to say something dumb like, nope, this just God set me up for a victory. It's going to be great. We try to like fake ourselves into a positive moment. But the reality is we've got to get ourselves wrapped around this concept that what God considers a win is different than often from what we consider a win. I'll make it a little bit more temporal, if you will, that sometimes for us, and just in the busyness of life, we see a win as what's existing in our bank account. We see the win as what age can I finally retire. We see a win as how many followers do I have on social media? How many likes did I get on that post? We see a win as did I get the promotion that I've been working for my whole life. And God say, hey, those things aren't bad. Those things aren't terrible. But you guys are using a different scoring system than I am. He wants us to begin to see things the way that he sees things as wins and as losses. You know, if we if we are really going to take scripture at, at face value, I love this uh, the scripture in Proverbs 21:31 it says that that the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but listen, but victory belongs to the Lord. So it kind of paints this picture of yeah, we can prepare the horse, you know, we're like who's riding horses in this is this is back in the day, okay? In Proverbs, it's like the horse is prepared for the day of battle. So that means that, yeah, there are things that we should be doing to prepare for the seasons, to prepare for the things that life may throw our way, but in the end, victory belongs to God. Yes, amen. So I really want to challenge us that we look at the fact that, that he is a king of victory. It's for us to stop going into the difficult moments of our life and wondering if we're going to get through it and wondering if we're going to make it. I had somebody I was, I was kind of like lovingly debating. This is years ago, and it was an atheist. It was a friend of mine, though. And then just that whole thing, like, hey, how convenient is it that you can just say, whatever happens, we still win. That's super convenient. That just kind of seems like a flawed argument. I'm like, well, it may seem like a flawed argument, but I'm telling you that if once you begin to experience the hope that's connected to that type of victory, it begins to transform the way you see everything. Because, yes, you can have everything taken away from you and still win. Yes, you can experience the losses that, to some people observing your season, may not have a clue how you're getting through, and you may not have a clue how you're getting through. But the reality is, is that we can have that anchor in our soul, that assurance from Jesus Christ, being a conquering victorious king, that we will make it through, and even if we don't make it through, that we still win. Easier said than done, I get it. I get it, but that's why it takes faith. If it, if, it didn't, if it was easy to figure out and we didn't need God, then we wouldn't need faith. Yes. Some people are like, I just got to fake it till I make it. It's like, well, hey, whatever it takes, but let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. He is, he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. That means that he is the one that helps you start to learn what faith is, and he will be the one that helps you to grow in understanding what faith is. He will take you places that you're not able to take yourself. Because in, a human, in human terms, we would see the things that many people go through that do have faith in Christ as a loss, a giant L to the head. And God says, hey, it's okay. It's okay. We got a victory coming. It's we read stories in the Bible, you know, like David and Goliath and, you know, King David, he went out and yeah, Goliath, he's yelling insults at God's people. And, and David steps up, he's like, I'm about to, I'm about to throw it down on this man, goes get some stones, old school, stones in a slingshot. He's just, which I'm like the one with the rubber band. He's like, no, there was like one of these. I'm like, okay. We know what's going to happen because we can flip over to the next chapter. David didn't have the next chapter. He didn't go. He didn't run back to his house, grab his Bible. He's like, wait, 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 wait. What happens? What happens next? Oh, I win. Okay, good. All right, all right. Here we go. Woo. Now he didn't know what was going to happen next, but he knew what was going to happen next. And I wonder if we can in this. This is such a great Christmas message. This has nothing to do with. Anyway, it's Jesus. (laughs) What are you going to do? If If we can allow this season of realizing that, hey, Jesus didn't come down from heaven in a limousine riding white horses with all of his pomp. Like, let me tell you, he will one day. When he comes again, this is what scripture tells us, whether it's uh, through Old Testament prophets or reading through the book of Revelation, there will come a time when Jesus returns to take his church, to take his bride home with him, to, to establish a permanent kingdom here with a new heavens and a new earth. And I know that gets deep, but maybe we'll talk about that later, but the reality is is that he came once as a homeless baby with nothing so that he could identify with a broken humanity So that one day when he would return, we would recognize, the whole world would recognize him as a conquering king who was coming in victory. And I want to encourage you this morning, if nothing else, God is more than enough for what you're going through in your life right now. It may not fix all the answers. It may not pay all the bills. It may not work out the way that your scoreboard says it should work out. But I'm telling you that God is faithful. King Jesus is victorious. God does not lose. And somebody needs to allow that to minister to them this morning. (laughs) I remember one time when I was a kid. And um, ever, ever a little bit more brave when you're standing behind somebody that you know can take care of things? Like that's right, you know <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, my dad was I don't even think my dad was aware of anything that was actually going on in this particular scenario it, but it had to do with a situation where there was a, a at the time a former friend or friends, a former friend that had really made me upset, but it was also a former friend that I, at the time I wasn't six, seven at that time in my life. I wasn't fully confident in my abilities to you know to to you know, you know impose myself. But my dad was there. And I, I just remember saying stuff to him, and kind of like peeking around my dad, like, "Yeah, what you gonna do?" Sometimes you get a little extra bravery when you know there's a a cushion of security between you and an enemy. And I hope, I hope today that you will understand that there is an enemy, and it's not your neighbor. It's not that Facebook troll. <laughs> it's not it's not the news agencies. It's not any politician. It's it's not, it's not the extremes from any movement that we see. They're not your enemy. The Bible tells us that our enemy is the devil, is the powers and the principalities of darkness that are ever waging war to destroy what belongs to God. You need to know that you carry the very imprint of God inside of your soul, and every time the devil sees you, he's reminded of what he'll never be, what he can never have, and it angers him, and he wants to destroy you, he wants to steal from you, he wants to rob. But how much does it stink to be him when he knows that he can't? All he could ever do is deceive you. All he can ever do is trick you into doubting in who you are, into doubting what God's capable of doing, and to, and, to, and to flash the pictures of prior mistakes in front of you to say, hey, yeah, well, this was you. Remember this one? And remember that one? Here's a PowerPoint presentation of all your failures. That's who you are, you don't measure up, you're never gonna be. And God's just trying to lean over and say, hey, don't listen to him, he's an idiot, I already beat him. And all of a sudden we realize we got King Jesus between him and King Jesus already took care of business and we can, we can go through the things of life, we can still face the challenges, we can still check the scoreboard and we might feel down but God's still gonna say, hey, this game's over. You may still feel like you're in it but this game is over. We win. In the end, if, you, if you're wondering how the Bible ends, if you've never read the whole thing, when you get to the end, we win. You're like, well, what's this we business? Man, it's, it's, that's why we're here today. Because God has put it into the hands of us to be his sons and his daughters, to carry out the mission that he has, that is that none should perish, that none should not have that relationship, that none would, would lose, that none would be far from God. And so we find ourselves here as we go to Christmas come on let's let's not miss the season. Let's not get caught up. Let's not lose sight of what matters. Let's not let's not get so wrapped up in the in the traditional elements that are fun. I'm not I, we'll, we'll never be the type. I mean the real Santa's is going to be here next week. I mean he's making a special stop just for Convo Church. So don't, you know, I'm not one I'm not one to, you know, to to try to put the fire out of the fun traditions. That's great. But still at the heart of everything that we do. Let's not forget what Jesus was all about. He was God when he showed up on the scene. He didn't earn God's status through his life. He was, he is, and he is still to come. And I hope that today, if you leave today with nothing else, you would say, you know what? I don't have it figured out. I don't even know if this is all real. But if I can embrace the reality that Jesus is king and he's a victorious king, Jesus, I want you to be a victorious king in my life. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on convochurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church podcast.